Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 13. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey y'all, this is Kari and Billy out of Nashville, Tennessee, and you are listening to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your host, Jay Scott of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, and we are pumped to be back here uh, to talk about deer hunting. This is essentially season number two, uh, episode number 13. We're going to keep it at number 13. We're not going to reset in iTunes, but um, just to make sure we keep it in the right order. Uh, But this is essentially season number two of the podcast, and it's deer season. A deer season is upon us in many parts of the country. Um, I think it started, uh, bow season has started in many parts. Uh, so it's time to start talking deer hunting. And we thought that it was best to kick this off right here today. We are kicking this off with a boom. And we're going to be speaking with none other than Rob Lucas of the reality hit TV show, Chasing Tail. And Rob is a TV personality, part-time on the show, uh, an avid, avid deer hunter, a suburban deer hunter. And Rob is going to share a bunch of his tips that he he uses on the show that he's been using pretty much his whole life. Basically, there's going to be a marathon tomorrow, September 21st, on the History Channel, pretty much all day long to catch all 10 episodes. You can also catch all 10 episodes on iTunes, but if you want to tune in, set your DVR to record chasing tail on history channel i believe it starts at 7 a.m and uh, we're going to get some insights from rob right now uh, about how to hunt deer in suburbia and what it's like and how being on a tv show on a national tv show has changed his life a little bit when you have a camera on you while you're hunting so rob welcome to the show hey thanks for having me we're uh, we're psyched that you could join us it's um it's a beautiful day out here in new england how are things in in your neck of the woods well, it's uh, 109 degrees where I live in Palm Desert, California, and uh, it's a little little too hot to uh, play golf or uh, do about anything. But I'm happy. I've got my bows sighted in. I've been practicing a lot. Uh, Connecticut season starts uh, this week, and uh, I'm anxious to get back to it for the first uh, first full weekend of hunting coming up next weekend. Beautiful. It's that time of year, isn't it? Yeah, I think about it all year. You know, every day. Yeah. Uh, doing something. You know, refining my setups and that sort of thing. But um, when, it, when it's right upon you, you know, my wife has always had the bad luck of having a birthday on opening day of deer season. So I've <laughs> never been there for a birthday. But uh, I never forget a birthday, though, because it's uh, opening day of deer season. That's good. But, uh, now, you're in um, you're on the West Coast right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm a physician assistant in plastic surgery, and I, I work on both coasts. Uh, but I'm primarily on the West Coast because uh, this is where the surgeons that I've spent most of my career are based. And then uh, I'm fortunate in that they give me time to go do the East Coast patients, mostly Botox injections, things like that. And uh, it's a good mix because I make my own schedule for that. So I make sure I put all my patients in the middle of the day and have the morning and the evenings for hunting. So, okay, so you do do some work as a PA on the East Coast as well. Absolutely. Gotcha. And, uh, okay. That's that's where I'm from, and that's where I learned how to hunt. That's where uh, you know my hunting has always been based. I do uh, I do apply for tags out west. It's a whole different thing out west. I mean, in the Northeast, uh, hunting is a lifestyle. I did it before work, after work, on the weekends, all the time when I lived there. Uh, out here in the west, you know, you apply for tags, and you'll take a week off. You'll chase elk around, but then that's the end of it. Gotcha. And uh, I, I prefer the East Coast uh, style of living, uh, where hunting is a lifestyle. Right. It's more, you know, it's not an event for me. It's a lifestyle. And, I, and I, if all I got to do was Western hunting, I think it, I would be a sad person. Gotcha. Interesting. I mean, we don't, you have an interesting perspective because you get to hunt in both spots. And that's not something that everybody gets to do. So that's kind of neat. So you have actually um, that important contrast about hunting styles or places of hunting um whereas some people just kind of locked into one spot so that's it's interesting you say that because i'm on an east coast hunter myself 
and that's the only, that's all I really know. Never really hunted out west, although someday I hope to. Yeah, and, and hunting out west, people do it because they love it, and uh, adventure. It is more, a little more like adventure hunting. I mean, survival is a, something you have to prepare for, things like that. You know, I've never took an, an emergency kit with me on an East Coast hunt. You know, you're always walking distance back to, to wherever you know civilization is. But um, in the East Coast, the other thing is that it, I always have been a kind of a suburban hunting specialist, and uh, it's a whole other thing there. You know, you're you're trying to get a lot of deer. You're trying to get uh, do something to help the habitat. And and reduce the, the deer herd down to something closer to carrying capacity for the land. And I and there I'm also a, a very vocal advocate for hunting. And uh, out west, I'm just an anonymous. I'm gotcha. just one of the guys, you know. But there, you know, in the town where I hunt, do most of my hunting, everybody knows who I am. Uh, some people like me, some people don't. But the uh, uh, everybody knows where I stand, you right. know. And that is, right. you know, we're there to help. We're there to help and show hunting works because I want hunting to be around for my kid and my kids' kids. And, uh, you know, it's probably propaganda from animal rights groups that are based right in the towns where we hunt. Uh, their headquarters are right there. In fact, one of them has a headquarters in the same building that I that I do the medical practice in on the East Coast. And, Interesting. Uh, if you want to see, if you want to get to this animal rights group, you just have to take an elevator from up from my office to their office. That's crazy. So you, this is on your mind all day long, basically. Um, that's interesting, Rob. So you're, tell us where you're hunting in on the East Coast. You're, you're part of the, the show Chasing Tail, um, which is a show that came out last year, correct? Yep. And, uh, you know, History Channel, uh, uh, took us on. You know, it, it got started because we, you know, I used to think reality TV was, you know, all put up, but we were doing what we do on that show. We've been doing it for years and it's just now there's cameras around and it's really exactly the same. It's the same core group of guys. Well, occasionally have you know a, a friend or a, somebody join us but for the most part it's just us and um, uh, I got together with them because uh, they kind of followed my lead I was really the, the Mike Mike Andronico calls me the godfather of suburban hunting because I uh, I was really the first in that area to, to uh, become uh, kind of a one-man wrecking crew on the, the local doe population especially and then they all took advantage you know with my blessing of occupying stands I couldn't be in because, you know, you can't be everywhere. Right. I must have had 25 stands up. And then uh, they started coming down from Vermont much more regularly uh, to uh, to take advantage. The, the crew changed a little bit over the years, but, but I like the crew that we have. And then Mike, through his cousin, established a real deer camp. And uh, that's helped a lot, too, because, you know, we have a base of operations. We have a hoist to, to put the deer up. And those guys built their own cooler last year, which helped a lot, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, Excellent. But, so- but started off with me just hunting, hunting a lot, getting a lot of deer and uh, uh, and then them uh, kind of joining in with me and now I got to say the the student has exceeded their master because I mean uh, uh, these guys are all very very good at uh, you know kind of the surgical excision of deer from pretty densely populated habitat. Gotcha. So you're you're hunting in you started the hunting um, group that you now see on Chasing Tail is that correct? Well I would say Mike started the Mike's group. Okay. You know I I was an individual. Mike and I grew up like brothers. Uh, you know, his dad and my dad were both immigrants bound, bound together in business, started a sheet metal shop. And then his dad died when he was only nine. Okay. And so my father became his father figure and Mike became my brother. And I've known him all my life. And, and we've seen each other go through wonderful things and tragedies too. And uh, the, uh, helped each other through. And I'm, I've got two biological brothers, but I'd say I'm closer to Mike than, than either of them or just as close. And uh, uh, But Mike, Mike assembled the group because Mike likes a group. You know, uh, I had always been more solitary. And you can kind of even tell on the show that, you know, I almost seem like an interloper uh, on the rest of the crew. Part of it is because, you know, I'm, I'm in a different a different stratus. You know, I'm a professional guy who comes and goes and hunts when he can. And uh, uh, to those guys, uh, you know, hunting is such a such a priority. I mean, John basically retired to hunt. Arky puts everything aside to hunt. Louis owns his own business, and he, he has his business partner basically running the thing during hunting season. And Mike has a kind of a seasonal occupation, so he uh, intentionally you know, uh, doesn't uh, look for work, <laughs> you know, when it's hunting season. Right. So meanwhile, I kind of balance everything, East Coast, West Coast, professional life, working full time. Gotcha. That sort of thing. So I would say Mike started the group for sure. Okay. So it's Mike um, Andron- Andronaco. Is that how you pronounce that? 
not quite uh, Andronico. Mike Andronico. But yeah, but you know Siri Siri on my iPhone says it the same way. <laughs> Andronico. <laughs> uh, but you know that his family was is very big in that town of New Canaan. Uh, they've been there for a hundred years, and and uh, uh, you know it's uh, there. There used to be like a column in the phone book with that last name. You know uh, Andronico. She. You know uh, just every business, every whatever. Gotcha. Uh, and, uh, so you know, they're hardworking guys and, and, uh, it's a crazy family because, uh, Mike's dad, Mike's dad and his dad's brother married two sisters. So two brothers married two sisters. So there's a strange kind of knot in a family tree where it seems like everybody's related. Gotcha. And, um, and, uh, Mike is so gregarious and funny that his, uh, his cousin, Peter, uh, started filming for a documentary. Um, that's how Chasing Tail got born is, is that Peter, uh, doing his masters for film was doing a documentary, was filming Mike and everybody. Uh, and, it, and it got to be so funny that somebody said, "Hey, this isn't this isn't a documentary so much as it is a, a reality television show." And then uh, it got the attention of Left Field Productions, that does a lot of top shows, Pawn Stars, and a bunch of others. Yep. And uh, and so uh, uh, and so it got it got going. And then you know, History, which belongs to A and E, wanted it, and uh, and that's how we got on. And we're on again, uh, coming up pretty soon. Gotcha. I want to go through um, the the schedule here in just a bit um tell us more about uh michael vaughn aka arky well arky arky's uh he's kind of crusty you know he's got his way and he gets uh, he gets upset so easily but he he's kind of like a kind of like a dog you know now dogs have tremendous uh, emotions they love you they hate you but then they wag their tail and everything's okay again yeah and uh, arky's like that you know I, I don't think he holds a, uh, a grudge for very long but uh he's a serious serious hunter i mean uh i've heard him say you know if i couldn't hunt i might as well be dead and he really means that and um uh, but you know occasionally Occasionally, uh, the frictions really boil up, you know, like I've known him to, to pull uh, a little trailer down to deer camp and everybody else uh, crashes out in deer camp and he goes out to his trailer <laughs> just oh, wow. away from everybody. Yeah. Because uh, you know he'll he'll uh, he'll get a you know a bug under his skin about something, and uh, you know he's he's a uh, he likes big bucks. You know he's just uh, he's on it. So when someone sees one, you got to think twice about t- talking to the group about it, because <laughs> all of a sudden you turn around and Archie is right there. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, but but uh, you know at the same time he's got a heart of gold. He'll you know he'll he'll abort his hunt to help you out. He'll he'll track with you. You know he'll he's got uh, he's in he's an arc well which is why he's called Arky. That's what he does for a living. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And he, he basically runs a shop and he works a ton of overtime so that in deer season he can take uh, take some time off because hunting is definitely the most important thing. Right. So, you know, he likes his sports, likes watching TV, but if you go to his house, you'll see head after head after head after head on the wall because he's, uh, uh, and when he when he gets a big one, you could, it really affects him. You could tell he, he, he puts so much emotion into it that it comes back out when he's got a big one on the ground. Gotcha. So there's Mike, Lou, and Dave Andronico, and then there's Arky, John Bassett. Tell us about John. John, uh, uh, Louis calls him Yoda, you know, because he, he just he's just quiet and uh, and spouts these philosophical things, and uh, he, he's just so nice. I don't think I've ever seen him get in an argument. Uh, he does like his practical jokes, but he, he kind of likes to set them off like bombs and then just watch all the drama happen, and then he just sits there with a cigarette um, and uh, just watches it unfold. So, uh, you know, I think the rest of us are like entertainment to John. He, he's, uh, uh, he's got a, a very storied past. I think he's he's done uh, all kinds of things, but one thing he, he spent most of his career doing is working a full career in the post, Postal Service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could just see him delivering my letters, you know, because he's always a smile on his face and a positive attitude, getting a job done. Right. And, uh, he's definitely at full draw. He's probably the coolest one of us, you know, as far as waiting for the perfect shot. And uh, uh, he's got an interesting style of shooting, too. He uses a single dot type, peep sight, a single dot sight, but he, he uses it like a rifle. You know, like you sit the animal on top of the bee yeah, uh, kind of like the shot, the being on a shotgun. He likes to do that, which um, you know he doesn't like to hide the animal behind the point. And he's definitely dead on. I mean, it's rare that you would uh, you would shoot at something and not get it. You know, um, and he's the best tracker in the bunch. Part of it is that just that slow, methodical way that he is. Uh, you know, he he will find that leaf that got turned over or that stick with a crack in it. You know, right. and uh, you know when you're almost ready to give up, Johnny finds his deer. Right. So uh, it's like having a, uh, a tracker from Zimbabwe. 
family in camp, you know, who can interpret the fight at this time. Gotcha. And it's really important to find your deer there in suburbia because, I mean, uh, everybody hates to lose one. Uh, but when you're in a big farm country and it goes to the coyotes, you just say, oh, well. But, uh, boy, when it starts stinking up or, or somebody's dog comes home with a deer leg in his mouth, I mean, you could lose permission at a property and you can cause, you know, a whole neighborhood to revolt. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's hugely, the stakes are high in suburbia. Uh, and uh, we're so lucky to have him around. Gotcha. So tell me about urban hunting. It's something you've been into for a long time now, correct? Yeah. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know the author Scott Vestool. He's a, uh, he wrote a book on trophy whitetails and, and he and I, you know, he interviewed me over several days for hours. And in his, uh, in his book, uh, it looks like I wrote the chapter. I mean, the whole thing is just replete with, uh, quotes from, uh, from me and, and my experience. And I also provided them with photographs for the, for the purposes of his book. But the, um, I got into it because I just, you know, I learned how to hunt with my dad in Vermont where there's hardly any deer. Uh, we had a house up in Vermont, like a cabin, and uh, I loved it, and uh, kind of grew away from it in my 20s because married a girl didn't like hunting, so I just didn't do it. But then when I uh, was done with that marriage, I, said, I looked at my life and said, hey, I, I got to get back doing what I like to do, and that's when I got into suburban hunting. And in the beginning, I didn't, there wasn't really anybody to teach me, so I, I read a ton of magazines. I got a lot of uh, uh, shooting and equipment advice from a, a guy. I was living in New York, and there's a guy in Belleville, New Jersey named Len Cardinal. I think he's in the Archer Hall of Fame. He's a uh, an Olympic uh, archery coach, and uh, Len gave me such good advice during those early years as far as you know setup and the mental game of shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, before very long, you know, I was I was getting more deer than everybody I knew, and uh, you know, people would kind of seek me out as far as advice, where to go, you know, like put up a stand. I've tracked for every, you know, I've probably shot a couple of hundred deer and, and I've probably tracked a couple of hundred more because everybody would call me for uh, help. And uh, uh, I really uh, could write a book on tracking suburban deer because there are little funny weird things that are that are different in the big woods. Big woods when it comes to woodsmanship, gotcha. you know, when you're, you're dealing with uh, uh, suburbia. But it's got its own special problems. You have to try to be ninja invisible. Um, you have to uh, uh, be visible sometimes. People want to know that you're on the job, you mm-hmm. know. And um, the main thing is you got to try to just have the deer get gone. You know, that, that actual the actual uh, process of, of the killing and retrieving is something that should be done completely invisibly. And a lot of times I, I find a deer with a couple hours of daylight and, uh, uh, you know, gut it and uh, crop it up a little bit and wait till after dark to come pull it out of there because there was just no way to get it out of there without being a spectacle, right. you know. And those those are things you don't have to worry about, you know, in the big woods. And, uh, you know, coyotes are a little more of a problem than they used to be, but but uh, they can help you find a deer. So, right. Oh, good point. Uh, Interesting. I never thought of it like that, but you're right, especially in suburbia. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've gone back at midnight and listened, listened for yips and, uh, uh you know, and then if it, you know, take a little green flashlight out there and chase them off. Right. But they, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, the main the main thing there is is, is being low impact, uh, which you know some of my my hunting uh, acquaintances that don't know me very well, uh, you know, looked at the show and thought that I was doing precisely the opposite by being on a television show about suburban hunting. That I was I was uh, you know they know my philosophies and um, they have the same philosophies about being basically like smoke through the through the woods. Right. and doing the job but then you know you flick on the history channel and you're, you're watching it happen so it's it was a little bit uh i had to defend that position with some of my with uh some people in the hunting community that definitely uh you know saw it as a, as a detrimental and not not a positive for the image of hunting per se right where are you geographically hunting in the, in the united states well, in in uh, well, we're chasing tail. We're in Connecticut, which is okay. uh, which is a uh, uh, if it's a rectangular looking state, it's in the bottom left, very close to New York City. Okay, and that's where all the deer are. It's uh, uh, in the state. They have very very liberal uh, hunting uh, rules there because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of deer. There's more deer than anywhere else in the state because you know the the uh, you know they they come in and other parts of the state might have mature forests with canopy and very little undergrowth. Mm-hmm. It's just all golf courses and estates and shrubs and ornamental plantings, just a ton of food for the deer. And, uh, you know, we're, we're 50 miles from Manhattan, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of executives live there and take the train to work. Um, one of our tree stands has a train that goes right right by it, like 20 yards away, which wakes, wakes 
you up abruptly if you start dozing off and stand. Right. And the big train goes by. But, um, you know, that's that's where all the deer are. They have such liberal, they, they give you four tags, uh, two doe and two antlerless. And every time you shoot a, an antlerless, I mean, two ant, antlered and two antlerless, Every time you shoot an antler list, they give you a refill for it. Once you've killed three antler lists, they give you an extra extra buck tag. Hmm. So that's why we can kill so many because you can, if you want, you can kill four a day every day. Gotcha. Uh, and if you can get back out there and, and get some more, you can. Of course, that, that hardly ever happens because you know even we're not that good. But um, you know, there's just such, it's a tremendous opportunity for that show because a lot of times they you know a deer getting uh, getting uh, chased or shot or uh, harvested or retrieved is part of the part of the uh, story that, that needs to be told. We are hunters, after all. Right. So, um, so there's plenty you know, of content for the television. I think so. I think we just scratched the surface because uh, you know Mike's got tons of brilliant ideas, and uh, um, and as usual with uh, with I think film and TV, some of the stuff that I think is the funniest never never makes it. You know, just right. You know, the cutting room floor syndrome. Right. You know? Right. Now, how did but, uh, you how did you hone in on this particular area as a place where you wanted to hone your skills? Well, I'm from there. You know, that's the, uh, yeah, my, my, in the same town, my dad had a sheet metal shop, you know, with Mike's dad, but then after Mike's dad passed, it, it was my dad's shop for, for decades. My mom worked in the same town as a real estate agent. And, gotcha. um, uh, and so, you know, everybody, that's an advantage too, you know, you know, like you're meeting somebody and they're like, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, say, oh, you know, that, you know, I don't know about letting you hunt. Say, okay, well, well, um, you know, I don't know if you know, but I'm Harry Lucas's son. And they go, oh, Harry's son. Oh, please. Come on in, you know, because everybody loved my pops, and and he'd been a sheet metal man in that town so long. He'd basically been inside almost every house in town because, uh, you know, he uh, he did so much work, you know, furnaces and gutters and uh, valleys and the roofs and things like that. Gotcha. One time he was replacing replacing a furnace, and he found a tool that he'd, he'd forgotten in someone's basement thirty years earlier. <laughs> it was like sitting on a ledge. He goes, "Hey, that's." He called them his whackers. It was like a, an instrument that he made. That's crazy. Himself, and uh, and he very you know, he made a bunch of them, but he was always leaving them around, and then he finds this whacker that was sitting there for 30 years. That's crazy. So your dad had a, a good um, influence on the town, and that, and you're from this area, so you've been familiar with this particular area all your life, and it was then it, you you chose that spot because of that reason. That's where you developed your skills for suburban hunting overall. Is that accurate? Yeah, the, and the timing was perfect because like, when I was a kid uh, in the town, there was a whole lot more in the way of open uh, open hunting, huntable lands and that sort of thing, but there weren't any deer back there. You know, like the, the deer population hadn't hadn't uh, uh, overpopulated at that point. But then uh, the timing was perfect. You know, like I said, after a first marriage and I realized I, I loved hunting, right when I got back into it was right when uh, the state started to recognize the fact that the deer population was out of control. You know, they've got no predators, uh, except for automobiles, and uh, they were just watching the, uh, the deer vehicle collision rate climb. They were watching the browse lines form. You know, they're just from about chest high down. There's no growth in the understory of the woods. Uh, the disappearance of ground nesting uh, ground nesting uh, songbirds that used to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the absence of wildflowers that used to be there. They're, these are part of the habitat that suffered from the deer population and are gone maybe forever. And uh, you know, it's these are the facts that I bring up when I'm doing battle with the animal rights people in the press. You know, one thing that made me popular, and I wrote an, an article for um, Deer Hunter Magazine about this once, uh, that uh, uh, letters to the editor. The article, I think the article was called Dear Editor, and uh, I would, you know, when I see the drivel from animal rights people, I would respond with a very thoughtful, researched uh, research and evidence and science-based response. Uh, and, and part of the reason was to try to influence the non-hunting public who do a lot the voting, but part of it is also, you know, just to kind of demonstrate and show that that uh, the animal rights uh, uh, stereotypical image they would like to portray of hunters as, you know, pot-bellied, beer-guzzling slobs, you know, that they, they, you know, that you see in the cartoons, uh, you know, of the, the mean old hunter. You know, that's not who we are. We're thoughtful stewards of the land who uh, want to help uh, the habitat, and we like hunting. And uh, right. so I would I would quote Thoreau and Nietzsche and Gandhi and things like that in my letters to <laughs> my face. Right. And I would read a lot of books like, you know, Dr. Dave Samuel, No Hunting and uh, um, uh, Blood Ties by Ted Karasote. And uh, so I'd read a lot and do a lot of research and it helped me with the letter writing and then that opened all kinds of doors for hunting. Gotcha. Tell us about the, the suburban hunting itself. You've described some of the um, 
the habitat a little bit, but you're hunting in an area, it's called suburbia, suburbia for a reason. And that's because it's a more densely populated area with people and houses. Is that a good description of your area? Yeah. Just kind of imagine, imagine some rolling, rolling woodlands that's uh, 10 acres in size. And you just say, oh, this is a good spot to hunt. There's a little valley here. There's a pond. You know, but then somebody comes in and they put a road with a cul-de-sac down the middle of it and there's houses sprouting off of it so it looks kind of like a the stem of a daisy and then the petals of the daisy with all houses sticking out, you know, into the edges of the woods. And uh, uh, it uh, takes away a lot of the woodlands, but it also clears a lot of the land and puts grass down and shrubs and low things for the animal to eat. Gotcha. So the animals get pushed into these smaller and smaller parcels of impenetrable thicket, uh, and but they can pop out at night and eat and eat more than they could have when it was mature forest and it also creates a ton of funnels because a deer just can't walk right through someone's living room you know a deer has to walk in the woods or you know you'll see them crossing driveways and roads but they they you know they do prefer cover and they do prefer a quick escape so, you know, it, it actually makes it much easier than trying to figure out, you know, big agricultural plots and, and big woods, you know, homogenous big woods is probably something I would be like an idiot out there trying to figure that out. But when it comes to suburbia, I look at I look at the funnels, I look at, at what I think is going to be a travel pattern, uh, and I see it, you know, kind of like uh, kind of like Neo in the Matrix could look at the code and see what he wanted to see. Right. I could look at neighborhoods and I could say, well, this is going to suck because, you know, this finger of woods goes nowhere. Whereas another one, there's a let's say a preserve where there isn't any any houses, and there's fingers of woods coming off of that out into these neighborhoods where all the feed is. Well, then that's that's the place you want to be. So you have to decipher like a woodsman. But suburban woodsmanship is is um, is not that uh, not that difficult. But meanwhile, most suburban hunters, I think, don't even try to figure it out. They just they get a place to hunt and they just put up a stand and they just sit there. They figure I'm in the woods. A deer's going to come by eventually. Uh, but I'm I'm much more selective than that, and I. I've kind of got it down to a science, and uh, I think uh, Mike also he he sees you know he can see the woods the way I do, um, and I think between Mike and I we obtain most of the properties that we hunt, and then uh, all the guys help us hunt it. And you know, Archie is amazing when it comes to putting up stands. He's like a monkey up in the tree. He's just <laughs> you know being a welder. He's so powerful right. that you know, he can just hang on, and you know he's never heard of a safety strap. He just you know he just swings around up there so deftly. Right. Um, and, uh, so you've got a you've got a challenge that's a little different than a lot of our listeners in that it, sometimes we get these large plots of land um, that's owned by one person, but it sounds like you guys need to go out and and you need to get permission to hunt these these this property. Is that kind of the way it's done in southeastern Connecticut? Where you have to actually go out and get permission to hunt these spots? Oh yeah, you have to you have to have written permission on your person uh, to be anywhere. Uh, but here, so here's the technique. Like you might, you might find a farm and get the farm and then try to figure it out, go to a high spot, glass it where the deer are entering and exiting field, things mm-hmm. like that. What we'll do is we'll identify a neighborhood, you know, like this, this is a, let's, let's try to get into this, this area. Uh, there's a place, let's say in Darien called Salem Straits. Uh, we would, I'd go to Salem Straits and I'd look around and I'd say, I, I bet you there are deer here. You might cruise it through it in your car in the mornings and evenings. There's no point in glassing because you, in the thick, you know, especially this time of year, you can't see 50 yards, okay. um, in any direction, just thick, lush, everything. So you, you identify there are some deer in the neighborhood. Now your job is to get a foot in the door, get one, at least one place where you get permission to hunt and you make your case based on the deer population, Lyme disease, that sort of thing. You get one, one, advocate in that neighborhood. Now you have to uh, identify uh, one of the properties you'd like to get. And instead of going cold calling on those folks as a stranger, you get the person who's already permitting you to be your agent. Wow. You uh, you ask them, hey, listen, can you can you call these? You know, because they've lived next to them for 15 years and they know them and they're a little less likely to say no to their neighbor because they don't want to get their neighbor across with them. So you, you use the landowners that you have as your agents to get more. And then as you get multiple connected properties, you've really got a huntable situation. So it's kind of like we try to spread like a virus through a neighborhood. You know, we try to right. affect one property and then and then, then the adjacent one and the adjacent one. And uh, and then once you've got it kind of sewn up, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's so much better when, let's say, you're up in a stand and you see a, a buck move by on the other side of a on the other side of a stone wall. He's out of range, but you know where he's going. You might wait till he's out of sight, climb down, get your truck, drive 200 yards 
to another property that you have permission where you believe he's going to be headed and wait for him over there. And I've gotten deer that way. You know, just, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like, you know, running around a supermarket to get all the things on your list, but that's what it's right. like sometimes. Right. Because there's just not that many places for him to go. And if a deer is on the, is on the, the, the roam, you know, he's looking around for does and he's headed a certain way. There's a funnel up ahead. You know where it is. And um, if you're waiting for him, you could score. That's an interesting complexity to hunting that I don't think a lot of us can uh, understand exactly. But that's why I've got you on the show today to kind of bring this to to uh, um, bring some attention to it. Because I mean, you go down to North Carolina, for example, and you're hunting deer over soybean fields and um you wouldn't be unusual to take a 500 yard shot because the fields are huge uh whereas you're you have to drive you could go from one spot identify a deer and then ha- and drive across the road 200 yards to hunt another spot that you had to also obtain permission to hunt in order to hunt successfully it's just a very interesting dynamic that um we're just not familiar with so this is pretty cool yeah, and we can we can only bow hunt. You know, Connecticut has a has a uh, law about firearms. Five hundred feet from the structure, you must be. Which means that, like, supposing there were two houses a thousand feet apart, there would only be one square foot where you could sit and legally be there. Well, there is no place in in our area where there's a thousand feet between two buildings. Um, and that's for so, a firearm, you said? It, yeah, firearm. Any okay. firearm, including a muzzle-loading firearm. So, you know, really, I mean, there's a there's a few farms, there's a few places that some people who like gun hunting go. Uh, I really don't know. I don't even know any gun hunters that, that hunt in our area. But when you're hunting in uh, northern northern uh, parts of uh, some of the towns, you occasionally hear gunfire. I'm sure that some of it isn't even legal. You know, it's uh, right. some you know popping one out of his back porch kind of thing. So the most most of the hunting you guys are doing is really bow hunting because that's what your terrain's allowing you to do. Yeah, it's all we do. And it, and it adds to that whole idea of stealth and, uh, you know, uh, low impact. You know, right. uh, we, we all love bow hunting. I mean, it's, I mean, we, I grew up watching Fred Bear on television on the American Sportsman and mm-hmm. I knew I loved it back then. And I killed my first woodchuck with a bow when I was like 13. Right. And, uh, uh you know, I was hooked. Very cool. Now, how, when you want to hunt a neighborhood, how many, how many homes are we talking about needing to, um, to obtain written permission to hunt the whole neighborhood on average? I would say uh, a minimum of five. Okay. And uh, so, you know, we end up in our fanny packs, we end up with this big wad. It looks like we're carrying Bibles around. It's, it's a stack of consent forms. That's and, incredible. Uh, and, and the troublesome thing about consent forms is they're only good for the calendar year. So uh, the season extends all the way through the end of uh, the end of January. Right. Although Janu- January's forms are still good for that same that same fall. So there's a little bit of a mad scramble right around Christmas time to get people signed up because uh, you know you don't want to you don't want to violate a game law with its you know silly technicality. You know, mm-hmm. like when you're on a property you're on a property where you belong and the pay- and the landowner has no problem with it. He's happy to have you. But your form has, says 2012 and it's it's January 3rd. 2013. So uh, you know you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. You know, which is get those forms signed. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work. But I mean, you know, the guys in the, in the big in the big agricultural areas you're describing, they they do favors for the for the farmers. You know, they'll, they'll mend fences. They'll they'll help bale hay. They'll they'll uh, uh, do whatever they can do to help the landowner to get the privilege of hunting. Right. We we do that same thing. You know, for our landowners, it's just that we have a lot more individuals. Luckily, they all want the same thing. They want the deer dead. Right. So our our favor to them is taking them out of there, and sometimes I've got to say it's it's a it's a chore. Like you you're you know you're you got to kill one more dose just because it's there, and you got to get to work in an hour and say yeah I got to do it because that's what these people want, and uh, that's my favor to them. And then in return I get to have the, the uh, privilege. Yeah. Do you end up sharing some of the venison that you have uh, with the landowner, or do they basically just want the deer out of there and that's it? Uh, we share a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, we give well we give obviously. I mean, I've killed 30 deer in a year. You can't, you can't eat that much. Right. So I, we've all, we all give away more, much more than we keep. Um, I pretty much just eat backstraps and uh, give everything else away. So uh, I've taken it, you know, three or four hundred pounds at a time to the food to the local shelter, where they're very happy to get frozen meat because uh, nobody gives that because it's so expensive. Right. You know, people give turkeys at Christmas at Thanksgiving time. That's about it. But yeah. so they're happy to see me. Uh, and then the landowners tend to want it. They tend to want the best cuts, and we also frequently give them a recipe, you know, uh, print something down for them uh, if they've never tried it. We encourage the ones that haven't tried it to try it. Right. Because uh, just, just once again, being good ambassadors uh, for it. And then Mike takes a good few up to Vermont. I mean, there's 
you know, the economy is what it is. Certain areas are hit harder than others. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of families that, that Mike has basically been feeding for several years, right. and uh, I, don't, I don't know how they'd make it if, if we didn't uh, get so many deer down in Connecticut where they're overpopulated. But right. he just he just gives it gives it to them, asks nothing in return because he's he's uh, he knows that it's good for everybody. Right. It's fascinating that so you've got a, a huge you have a densely populated area of deer. Um, you're you have to go and get permission to hunt a lot of these properties. The landowners are happy to have you for the most part. Um, do you ever run into any other hunters? It sounds like you guys kind of have that area kind of cornered, but are there other hunters that hunt same land where you're Oh, no. We, we, run into them, we run into them all the time. Okay. There's, a, there's, a, there's a ton of hunters down there, and and, uh, and not all of them are uh, not all of them are great. You know, there's uh, there's people that, you know, will get permission on a property adjacent to, a, let's say, public land or, or, you know, a park, and then use the property as an as an entryway to the to hunting in places where they're not supposed to be and I've I've, uh, I've I've had permissions in places where I just stopped going because of uh, I don't want to be anywhere proximal to the goings on that I see um, and uh, at the same time I'd say most hunters are just like us you know we're all interested in having a good time and and doing something good for the landowners and carrying a good message for hunting but when you get those bad apples I just I just get chased right out of there um, and uh, there is a little bit of kind of a competition feel with with some hunters I knew one guy would sign up properties, uh, and then he just would never go there. He just didn't want anybody else going there. Hmm. So uh, uh, he would, you know, kind of try to use it as a blockade. But, um, you know, I don't know if in your neck of the woods you run into that. But, I mean, hunting's not supposed to be a competition sport, but in some people's view it is. Right. And, uh, you know, so we, we're we very uh, keen on staying out of controversy and, and not having conflicts. Yep. So, you know, I totally, uh, you know, just go the other way. I've got so many places I can go that it just to go someplace where uh, it's going to be drama and uh, occasionally there's there's animal rights folks and that ruins an area like you've got a great spot the landowner loves you and wants you to hunt but there's a there's a, a neighbor a budding property who is very much against it and uh, uh, I had this one guy would would call his imaginary dog at, at dawn he would go out and walk back and forth in the property line you know here's Skippy here's Skippy come on boy come on you know walking back and forth he didn't even have a dog he was just he was just a, a Avoiding the hunter harassment laws by instead of harassing me directly, he right. was calling right. me an attorney dog. Right. So the hunter harassment laws are in effect in that area. So that's good. Definitely, definitely, Connecticut's got that, and uh, you know it's it's rarely rarely employed. Right. But uh, and and it, it rarely comes up. But when it does, you know, the, the hunter loses in those situations. You know, it just you're you're it's silly to waste your time doing battle with people that are against it. You're never going to change their mind. And um, if anything, you know. Know, you'll the controversy will you know go more public so it's it's just better to, to you know get those situations just to go somewhere else gotcha so tell me about the show a little bit you're um you've hunted this area you you were hunting this area before the show came to be and your it was a your one of your hunting buddies peter is that what you said was the was doing a documentary on yeah peter's peter's mike's cousin okay um cousin or nephew i mean like i said there's that not in the family tree and uh, uh but uh you know I, I i i knew peter when he was a little boy uh and he's younger than than mike and i and uh you know so peter just you know he's pretty close to uh, mike and uh dave which is definitely mike's cousin dave um, and so he started doing this, you know, thing, his documentary for, for this thesis. And Peter's got a tremendous sense of humor. And, uh, and Mike's got an amazing sense of humor. So, uh, it was, it was hilarious. Like the, the, the stuff, Peter, Peter's got thousands of hours. I mean, they could do a show just on what Peter's got in the vault for years. Uh, just, and it, some of it is just so hilarious. There was one time Mike was kind of stuck in the snow. He, he didn't have enough money to have, you know, good tires on his truck. And he's stuck in like three inches of snow. <laughs> and he's trying to get his truck out and Peter's filming the whole thing and Mike's just cursing him out like turn the damn camera off because <laughs> it's embarrassing to get stuck in a you know in a four-wheel drive truck and three right, you know? right. Um, it's like uh, it's the, the, those two too there's like this little it's friendly loving the kind only relate relatives have friendly loving animosity you know and uh, watching them go back and forth I always thought that, that uh, Peter ought to be on the on camera he ought to be part of it you know that, you know like the like the, the non-hunter that we're trying to train to hunt right you know? right but you know, maybe maybe in a future season we'll see. So Peter was doing the documentary, and you all agreed to be in the documentary. It sounds like, 
And yeah, yeah, everybody everybody signed up because uh, it was good for Peter, you know, and he was right. getting a master's degree. And then, how did it develop from there? Did did one of you decide that you should start pitching it to a production company, or did somebody did the uh, uh, like did the History Channel come looking for you? How did that happen? Well, Peter Peter gets all the credit. I mean, his his film was so good that it was featured at a film festival in New York, and um, and he had the uh, the presence of mind to invite Mike and a couple of guys down to the uh, to the screening, and it was so well received, a standing ovation. I mean, it just this, you know there was one short film after another, and the thing just stopped when this thing went on, and uh, and then these guys stood up and like, oh my God, they're here! Look, that's them, and just uh, they, they were immediate rock stars, and uh, the way it works is you know a production company left field Productions, said you know i guess they were there and uh uh they uh they uh said let's do this thing and so the way it works is the production company you know you you say okay you're going to produce this thing for us uh and so everybody signs with them then they go to a network and then the network uh sees that everybody's signed up and the product is guaranteed so then the network orders episodes gotcha and, okay uh, and that's so we're fortunate getting with, a, getting with a big network like like history so like the the people on camera we don't have really anything to do with anything as far as getting the thing done right you know we just we just hunt and just try to you know be ourselves when the when the cameras are right. around so you're just doing and, your, your thing as you normally would do and that was my actually you just prompted my next question is how has your hunting life or life at deer camp changed since you have to have a camera on you um, you, you end up spending a lot more time and doing a lot less hunting because, um, you know, the logistics of doing, doing television, uh, you know, you don't realize when you're just watching it, but like, if you see a, if you see a guy drive up to your camp and get out of the car and walk inside, uh, he had to do that like six times because, you know, they're filming it from the top of deer camp, looking down the car, driving up and you drive back out and you drive in again. And now the cameraman's sitting in the car with you watching you get out of the car from the inside. And then you back up down the driveway again and now he's inside your camp and he's watching the door open and you come in. So, I mean, everything you do, you have to do, you know, six times. Right. And um, so, you know, as far as the conversations, we just let it fly uh, and, you know, they have little GoPro cameras around and, and uh, uh, you know, several cameramen staying out, out of each other's shot yep. and that sort of thing. And you got to remember everybody's wearing a microphone. So, you know, stop, change the batteries. Sound guy says that uh, I'm not getting this mic dead and I'm not getting Mike's voice and okay. uh, start over again, you know. So they're monitoring so, I mean, every, some of the stuff, got it. Well, yeah, they're all they're all up in your stuff and they're, you know, they're they're right there. They're just not in the shot, you know, like right. just, just left or right of what you're seeing on the camera, there's people over there. Right. Um, but the thing is, though, that, and I, you know, and I used to think about reality shows and I thought, well, you know, you know, no, this is real because you know there's a sound guy and there's a producer and there's, there's, there's a, you know, a caterer and there's all this stuff going on. The thing is, though, that, that, we're doing what we really do and you very quickly learn to just forget about all that stuff you know and I get I'm in plastic surgery a lot my boss has a television show and uh, he uh, we have cameras there all the time and we don't act any different with cameras around and so this is the same thing because you just learned if you know there's such a part of the wallpaper that you forget about them and this is your boss that has a TV show as well yeah, I have a, I have a, uh, you know, work in plastic surgery, and, and one of the people in our group has a, has a television show on CBS. Oh, interesting. So you've got cameras around you all the time. Uh, not all the time, but I'm definitely used to it. You're used to it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. So the season, uh, the very first inaugural season for Chasing Tail was this last year, and you're they're coming up on a. Um, a marathon, right? There's, uh, they're going to relaunch all the shows again, so everybody can see them going into the next season. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, in order on the 21st. I think it, it starts at like 7 a.m. Eastern time, and I think they're just going to run back to back to back. Uh, uh, I think the original 10 shows, which is good because if anybody missed an episode, they get they can record it, and or right. if uh, uh, or if anybody missed the whole series, they can watch it. And also, I think the way it, you know, since it starts at the beginning and runs through, you kind of get get to learn who we are and and uh, you know get the character development of uh, you know because this this show. 
I mean, there's a lot of hunting shows on television. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, of The Crush with Lee and Tiffany and uh, a bunch of different shows. And there is a little bit of the character of the people in there, but they're primarily hunting shows about hunting and the hunt that's happening. And this show is more a character-driven show about the personalities of the people that we are. Right. Uh, right. And so it's a whole different animal, and it doesn't try to be the other thing. You know, it's we're not we're not trying to instruct you on how to take trophy deer or something like that. Right. You know, it's, it's meant, meant to be entertainment. And, uh, uh, you know, I got a lot of good feedback uh, from it. And, you know, the, the deer season starting this weekend, I'm going to be there hunting. I don't I don't know, you know, anything about cameras for the early season. But from my other experience in TV, I found that as as the seasons pass, things get more efficient and they, they don't need to they don't need to take up as much of your time to get what they need right. as far as, you know, get their shots and get their stories down. So right. um, I imagine if I were producing television about hunting, I would probably focus most of my energy at the time when the hunting is best, which is, you know, in, in the Northeast, it's going to be early November. Right. Um, because that's when the, the bucks are cruising and, and so on. So you know, early season, lots of mosquitoes. It can be slow. You can't see anything with all the foliage on the trees. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if my first couple weekends back there, there's not even any filming going on. Right. Gotcha. So, and they'll probably be a little more expedient and, and a little bit better at their craft now that they've got a year under their belt. And that's cool. Uh, so what, what day does the, does the 10 episode, uh, marathon kick off? It's the 21st. 21st. I think that they, uh, is that a Saturday? I think it is 7am on history channel. Uh, and so, uh, I looked at my local listings that it added as 4am here. I bought the whole series on iTunes because I just, I just wanted to be able to have it in my laptop and, uh, you know, show somebody that hadn't seen it, you know, uh, uh, you know, without having to find a TV. Right. But, um, last I, last I saw that it, it was still available on iTunes too. Gotcha. But it's, we're, we're looking, looking forward to, you know, another season and, you know, uh, it'll be fun to film it, fun to be on TV again. And, uh, you know, years from now, I'll be able to look back on it and say, yeah, we did this stuff. But ultimately what we really care about is the hunting and, and, you know, the fun and knowing each other and being with our friends so you know someday the chasing tail will come and go and we'll still have each other and, and look back and it'll just be like looking in a photo album to look at the episodes on right television. right so that's cool so you can still get them on itunes and uh, the 21st is when they're going to be running the marathon and then the new season launches sometime midwinter after the season. Is that correct? That's something I don't know anything about. Gotcha. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Once, once again, the, the talent, that's what they call us, talent. You're the talent. <laughs> yeah, they, call, they call it deer props. They call it deer props. Uh, like, I, I think it's a little disrespectful, you know, like an animal <laughs> give its life and you call it a prop. But, Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, right. these technical guys, you know, right. they go like, hey, who's, who are, you know, like, where's the prop? And I'm like, you know, you mean the nice doe that I killed this morning? Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's, uh, that's Hollywood for you, right? Um, yeah, you know, but I, I'd like to try to get a little, uh, do a little more traditional bow hunting this year with uh, on the show because I just I enjoy that so much. And I uh, when when they definitely need a, a definite for sure kill, you know, I tend to take the compound. But I think I'm going to stick to my guns this year and and hunt with my um, recurve bows for the time. Right. Yeah. Well, that's cool that you can um, you've got that many deer, and it's cool that you can go down to your primitive weapons and still have a, a good shot at harvesting a deer. That's awesome. That's very nice. Yeah, it's just as fun when they when they don't come in range, you know, like your heart beats just as much. Right. And, you know, if they stay out there at 30 yards, you know they'd be dead with a compound, but you got to wait, you got to wait, and sometimes they just don't give you the shot, but it's, right. still, still a good, it's still a thrill. A whole, whole new element of difficulty. Very nice. Rob, this is, uh, it's been great. Um, is there anything else you want to cover before we end the interview? No, I think we uh, we covered it pretty good. I, I, uh, I appreciate this opportunity. You know, and one one cool thing is that you know you and I are acquainted through Twitter, uh, and I've had a few other you know hunting uh, uh, new friends through through that through that uh, organization. I gotta say, I like the the quality of the of the relationships and the conversations that happen on that. You know, there's other sites that they have things that, that people they call people friends, right. but they're not really friends. They're just people that you clicked on your thing. Right. You know, and there's this whole thing like this, like that. You know, you don't really like this, right. or like that. But I think the Twitter, the quality of these these uh, relationships, like I could, there's something I could tell you and say, keep it under your hat, and I know you will. Yep. And and uh, you know the uh, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool, and I think it it fits in with the 
hunting and hunter mentality in our, you know, we do we do have these relationships with other hunters. They're kind of intense because we're all we're all passionate about what we do. Right. And I think, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, even more and more hunters are on Twitter and networking like this and, and uh, sharing the hunt. I agree. I think Twitter has done a, 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 and I don't know if it's, this was their intent, but I have found a, a good hunting community on Twitter and that the relationships that I'm developing because of Twitter uh, are tremendous. And some over just over the last year, I think some of my my best hunting friends have come from Twitter. And guys I still may not have ever met yet, but will someday, and we'll hunt with them. Um, but we're we're developing very strong relationships now. Very nice, well, Rob. I appreciate your time. And uh, if there's anything we can ever do for you, just let us know. Um, if you want to get, well, somebody. yeah, I'll be. Well, if we get renewed, I'll definitely be back in touch and see see uh, about getting one of the other guys to a podcast. That would be cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're happy to yeah. interview as many, and, and we're doing it. Uh, there's no monetary gain for us at the moment. Someday, hopefully, there will be, but we're just doing it because we like it, and we like talking to people. We like talking about hunting and keeping it interesting yeah. for everybody else that has joined our community because they enjoy that. So, mm-hmm. yep, awesome. All right, so have a great day. Okay, Rob, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, thanks again to Rob for joining us and and giving us his insight on uh, everything that there is or everything that has to do with suburban hunting, how it gets done, how it gets done on a television show, how it's affected his life. Um, Very, very cool. And uh, best of luck to Rob and the cast of the hit TV show, Chasing Tail. Hope they have a, a great season coming up. And again, don't forget about the marathon TV show. Uh, they're going to be running all 10 episodes on the History Channel tomorrow starting at 10 or 7 a.m. Set your DVRs, let it go all the way through. Um, check out all the episodes and see what's going on there. So as uh, hopefully we'll have some of his co-owners on the show at some point. So again, thanks to Rob for being on the show. This is Jay Scott, your host. Um, if you would like to reach us, please send an email to jay at bigbuckregistry.com. Uh, check out our blog, which is at bigbuckregistry.com. And Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. See the theme there? Everything we have is Big Buck Registry. So, and best of luck. Hope you're having a great season so far. Hopefully you have uh, tagged out, well, Probably not tagged out, but um, if you have tagged out, let us know. Send in some pictures to our, our blog and to Facebook. Post them on Facebook. Let us know what's going on out there. And if you would like to check us out on iTunes, if you'd like to get all 13 episodes so far of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast uh, on iTunes, you can find us there. All you have to do, if you're on an iPhone, um, just download the podcast app and you'll get all kinds of things. Type in Big Buck Registry in, in the search bar and it'll bring it up and subscribe there. If you like this podcast, by all means, share this information with your friends. And while you're listening to the podcast on your iPad or iPhone, if you are listening to the, to the podcast, you can actually in the top right corner, there's an arrow, push it and then text it to your friends that you think would like to listen to this show. It'll text them that exact episode and go through all of them. Uh, we had uh, we had some with our co-host, Dusty Phillips, uh, who will be joining us next week um, from Ohio, and he's going to give us a, an, basically it's going to be a Ohio forecast, deer hunting forecast, um, and check that out. So if you're on iTunes, if you have an iPhone, check us out on iTunes. Forward those podcasts that you like to your friends get them interested in the big buck registry so we can have more shares and get more pictures on our facebook page and on our website for everybody to see what's going on in america with with regards to deer hunting so again this is your host jay scott signing off for the big buck registry and we'll see you next week 